The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 116. You know, before we get into the Bible, in, into reading the Bible, I'm going to say, it's been on my mind all week. I, uh, I, uh, I, I don't know how people can do without reading this every day. Now, I know I say this to you all the time, but I need to keep saying it. That every single day, you want to get into the Word, and you want to fellowship with other believers. You want to, you know, if you're having a bad time, send them an email. If you're having a good day, send them an email. Tell them, you know, praise the Lord. And and uh, what does Paul say? Think on things that are noble and good. And I, I don't know how people can make it without having this in their life. I don't know how people can say, I'm a Christian and I am going to pursue Jesus without knowing what Jesus wants us to know, which comes from the hand of Paul during this dispensation. And when you're low, what do you do? Do you go out and get a, a extra bottle of whiskey and drink or do you go to the Psalms? And well, you know, I'm not a teetotaler here. I don't, you guys do what you want. The Bible never forbids drinking. It never does. Okay. With two exceptions in the entire Bible. But is that where you're going to go for your comfort and solace? Or are you going to go to the Psalms and read that and go to a, a friend and say, let's just go out and talk, right? This is where it's at. This is, this is what he has given us for this life. People that uh, don't pursue this and instead say, I'm, I'm a spirit filled Christian and I get that just right from the Holy Spirit. They are deluded. The Holy Spirit has spoken. It's right here. This is what he has given us. And then from there, he illuminates this for us. If you're going around this, then you're not getting either. You have to go through this. So let's go right now into the word of God, Psalm 116, and uh, we'll read that. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Ah, wonderful. Wonderful words. You know, when you're when you're down, I can't think of any place better. You know, 42nd Psalm or go to the Psalms of Ascents. Right after the 119th Psalm, enter the Psalms of Ascents. There's 14 of them. 
I hope I said that right, I'm 14. And they, they start you outside of Israel, out in the far land, and they slowly walk you towards Israel, to the border of Israel, and then they take you into the land, and then they take you closer to Jerusalem, and then they take you to the temple, and you keep getting closer and closer to the place of God. All the way through, it's leading you to the spiritual high plane, and it takes you a couple minutes to read them, all of them. They're very short. You want to know the heart of the Lord and what he wants for his people. He wants us to elevate to him. Go to the Psalms of Ascents. Okay, anyway, sorry about that. Uh, we're in Leviticus 13. We're going to look through 1 through 17 today. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore is turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. The priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear deeper than the skin and it is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore is faded, and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. When the leprosor is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest. Then the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white and it has turned the hair white and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling... It is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. Verse 12, and if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore, from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, then the priest shall consider. And indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. It has all turned white. He is clean. But when the raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean, for the raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the sore has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. Who has the sore, he is clean. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't that an amazing passage? Does anybody here, before I start, want to come up here and give the sermon? <laughs> I will tell you, if you want to, please do. I had no idea why these verses were here. None. And until I got reading into the first or second verse, and I suddenly realized exactly what was going on because of the terminology used. You'll find out about that in a second. First, I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to do this again this week. I'm going to keep doing it because... There, there is this terrible thing going on out there that we are under the law and we have to obey the law of Moses. And listen, while I'm talking to you looking for this page, if anybody has a boil in this church, are they excluded from this church? No. no. Hello. So why can we 
come into church with a boil, but we can't eat pork. It's the same law. Well, what's the, what's the mental loss in people that are imposing this on you? And you're going to see it right in these passages today. But we're going to go to Acts chapter 9, and uh, this is Paul's call. He was uh, in Damascus. He couldn't see. A person was given a vision of the Lord. Hey, I want you to go and uh, place your hands on Paul, and I want you to anoint him. He is, uh, you know, you're going to restore sight to him. And he says, hey, this guy is a persecutor of the church. Like the Lord doesn't know what he's doing. Right? And what does the Lord say? He says, go, for he, meaning Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. All right? He is the apostle to the Gentiles. His message is pertinent to the Jews as well. Why? Because this is a Gentile-led church age. And if any Jew wants to come to Christ, they're going to have to do it in the same way that all other people do, which is through proper doctrine. Paul's doctrine. Okay, and we're going to see that in today's sermon as well when we bring in another apostle whose name begins with P and ends with Eater. Anybody? <laughs> Peter, that's right. We're going to see this in this sermon. Okay? Colossians 2, verse 14. Having wiped out the writing of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The law is wiped out, it is nailed to the cross. What was literally nailed to the cross? Jesus, Jesus' body. He is the embodiment of the law. It was nailed to the cross. He died. The law died. Everybody got the symbolism? Okay. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, we went from Aaron to Christ, one priesthood to another. Of necessity, there is also a change of the law. One priest does not administer another law. One law is in effect under Aaron. Christ is the new medi- the mediator of a new law. The old law is done. Okay, we have a change in the law. We are not under the law of Moses. Verse 18 of chapter 7, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. Anybody that says, oh, the law is not annulled, take them to this verse. On the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Going on, chapter 8, verse 13, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete Obsolete means obsolete. There's no other meaning for the word obsolete that I can think of. You can think of synonyms, but it doesn't mean still in effect, okay? It means obsolete, all right? We're going to go on to chapter 10, verse 9. He takes away the first, meaning the law of Moses, that he may establish the second. It is taken away. The new one is established in Christ's blood, okay? I know I've said that many weeks in a row. I'm going to continue to do so. It is that important, is that important? Chapters 13 and 14 go into great detail concerning the issue of the dreaded disease, leprosy. It is argued that the Hebrew word signifies various diseases or conditions, which are all lumped under the one word, which is translated as leprosy. And for this reason, the NIV translates the word as defiling skin disease. And they're correct because we see some things that aren't what we would know as modern leprosy. In English, the word comes from the Greek lepoa, which is from lepis, which means a scale. This is because with leprosy, the body would at times be covered with thin white scales. It would then give it the appearance of snow. There are many great commentaries on the actual afflictions and how they affected the people in the society. If you are into the medical aspects of these things, then all you need to do is read the verses of these two chapters, and you'll know a sufficient amount to determine what is being conveyed. 
For further details, you can go to any of those myriad commentaries and read all about the afflictions from a medical standpoint. But what is being relayed in these chapters is not just something that is found on the surface. It is also information which conveys pictures of other things. As always, the Bible needs to be looked at from the viewpoint of it being a manual about the redemption of man. If considered from that viewpoint, and with Jesus Christ as the one to bring this about, then what seems obscure and pointless becomes far more interesting. Our text verse comes from John chapter 6, it's verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh... We've been talking about the flesh in this uh, 17 verses, right? The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. We will carefully evaluate these chapters and verses with a view to why God selected the particular words and the things which surround that which brings uncleanness and that which brings about cleanness. In so doing, we will be able to see really, really exquisite pictures of his dealings with man. Physical afflictions made a person unclean under the law. But these things are not carried over in the New Testament. There's nothing which says a person with various skin afflictions is barred from the church. If these things could truly defile a person, then the Lord would have re-included them in the New Testament. But they don't. Jesus tells us that the flesh profits nothing. It is not the flesh that the Lord is at all concerned about. Therefore, it must be true that what is being conveyed here is more than just a set of rules and guidelines which were intended to protect the Israelites from a spread of a certain disease. If this were not so, then it would certainly give an indication that the Lord cared much less about the church than he did about Israel. But this is not the case at all. In fact, in understanding the spiritual meanings of what is being conveyed and how it pictures other things, we can see that the Lord truly cares about the state of man be he in Israel or in the church, in an absolutely pure way. The Lord's words that he gives to his people are spirit and they are life. These truths are to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Only two thoughts for you today. The first is new sores and old sores. It's verses 1 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The address is made once again to both Moses and Aaron. The last time this occurred was in verse 11.1. This addressing of both of them is a rather uncommon occurrence. Mostly it's to Moses alone. What is ahead is a long discussion on ritual purification because of health issues. The issue of leprosy will take up all of chapters 13 and 14, and then this will be followed up in chapter 15 with, woohoo, bodily discharges. Yeah. In these three chapters, the Lord will address both Moses and Aaron three times, and once he will address only Moses. Verse 2 When a man has on the skin of his body, the word Adam or man is used instead of nefesh or soul. What will be described next is on his or, or skin, which covers his basar, or flesh. The word or, meaning skin, is used 99 times in the Bible, and yet 46 of them are mentioned in this one chapter. It's very, very on the Lord's mind. The or is the covering of the man. Having an affliction in the skin, then, is an outward sign of uncleanness. As you will see, it is an uncleanness which pictures sin in man, it is a plague of death. 
the words show us, excuse me, that this is pertaining to physical afflictions of the body which arise in the course of this physical existence. However, there are spiritual meanings beyond these physical conditions. In the identification process, there are three initial signs to be considered. The first is, verse 2 continues, a swelling. The se'et, or swelling, is an interesting word. It comes from the word nasa, which means lifted or to rise. Outside of Leviticus, it's translated as acceptance or majesty or authority and the like. The idea is that when someone is favored, they're lifted up. However, in Leviticus, this lifting up is not a good thing. It indicates a swelling of the flesh. Such a swelling would be spiritually equated to the pride of life. Verse 2 continues, a scab. Next is a safachat, or scab. It is introduced here, and it's only going to be seen one more time, which is in verse 1456. It comes from safach, which gives the sense of attachment or gathering. Thus, it is a scab where the skin gathers at an eruption. It would picture the gathering together of that which is vile, the lust of the flesh. Verse 2 continues, or a bright spot. The baharet, or bright spot, is introduced right here. It will only be used in chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus. It comes from bahir, which means bright. It indicates then a whitish spot which is found on the flesh or even a glossy pimple. It would indicate that which draws attention to itself, the lust of the eyes. And so we have here three things which match that which John actually writes about in 1 John 2 verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When I studied those three words, I knew what the Lord was showing us for the rest of this chapter. It's astonishing. He's setting up what he's going to do in showing us pictures of physical things relating to spiritual matters. It is the three things, those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which Adam was tested with in Genesis chapter 3. It is the three things which Jesus was then tested with, as is recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. And it is the same three things which we all face daily in our lives. Will we yield to the flesh, or will we be transformed by the renewing of our mind and pursue the Spirit? Instructions are given for us to evaluate these things and then apply them to our lives. Verse 2 continues, And it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore. Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. When one of these three instances occurs and turns into a naga saraat or wound of leprosy, the person was to be brought to Aaron or one of his sons who are the priests. This word, savra'at, will be used 35 times in the Bible, and all but six of them will be found in chapters 13 and 14. It comes from the verb sara, which is a leper, which has only been seen one time so far in the Bible. And that is when Moses was told to put his hand into his coat and then pull it out. When he did, it was leprous. That was one of the signs to Israel of Moses' qualifications to lead them. The word then comes from a primitive root, which means to scourge. Adam Clark notes that the root in Arabic signifies to cast down or to prostrate, and in Ethiopian, to cause to cease because it prostrates the strength of man and obliges him to cease from all work and labor. The idea is that a person is struck with leprosy as if a curse. In other words, it is the stroke of God. 
Miriam, Moses' sister, will be struck with it as a curse in Numbers, as well as Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, in two kings. Verse 3, the priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white. In Israel, the priest was also the dermatologist. It was his to evaluate what made a person clean and what made him unclean. It was his to pronounce. He was to examine the skin, but also the se'ar, or hair. Hair in the Bible indicates an awareness of things, consciousness. In particular, it is an awareness of sin. The first time it was used in the Bible was to describe the hairy body of Esau, who was himself a picture of Adam, the one who fell and became conscious of sin. One can see how the hair being checked in order to identify uncleanness ties in with that. If it is turned lavan or white, it is an indication of that which is unclean. The word for turn here is hafak. It indicates to change, but in this case it would be a perversion of what is normal, thus to pervert. Going further, lavan is an adjective meaning white, comes from the verb lavan which indicates brick making. The idea is that when a brick is fired, it grows white. It is a picture of works in the Bible. For example, the making of the bricks to build the Tower of Babel was a picture of man's attempt to reach heaven through his own works. One brick at a time, I'm going to get up to the heavens where God is. Verse 3 continues, And the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is a leprous sore. The next thing to be evaluated was whether the sore was deeper than the skin of his flesh. The word for deeper, amok, is introduced into the Bible here. It is an adjective, and it signifies that which is deeper. It is a comparative word. It indicates a deep thing and even something mysterious. If the sore has gone below the skin, it has gotten into the flesh. As I've said, the flesh is that which is opposed to the spirit. We're being given an Old Testament lesson concerning a New Testament truth. The sins of the flesh, those things which go deeper than our outer covering or our skin, are those things which cause us to be unclean. It was garments of skin which the Lord gave Adam and his wife after the fall. That was to be a covering for them. Since that time, the flesh and the spirit have been at war. Verse 3 continues, Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. If these things indicated leprosy, it would then vetime oto, make him unclean. In this, he is said to do that which his office pronounces as done. It is an idiom which indicates a pronouncement of being in an unclean state. Think it through. A person has the awareness of sin, pictured by the white hair. It is based on his works which identify him as unclean. And what he is doing is a perversion of what is normal. And it has gone from the skin deep in the flesh. The type leprosy pictures the antitype, unclean works which are of the flesh. Just think of sexual immorality, right? This is what's being pictured here. What he is showing us is the exterior means nothing. It's what's down deep inside of us that God is trying to show us a picture of those things. Verse 4, but if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the man who has the sore seven days. If an evaluation by the priest indicates that the bright spot is, at this time, not seemingly leprous because it lacks the other two identifying marks, then the person is to be shut up in a state of isolation for seven days. 
It should be noted that the verse actually says that the priest shall isolate the sore seven days. The other words are inserted for clarity, but they probably are correct. It could be that only the sore is to be bandaged during this period, but more likely is that the person himself was to be shut up during this period because he has the sore. The word for shut up is sagar. It is the shutting up of something. It can be for protecting someone against harm, such as Noah being shut up in the ark, and it can also be to bring someone harm, such as when the Lord is said to shut up Israel for destruction. Seven is the number of spiritual perfection. An evaluation of the flesh will be remade after this set interval. The seven days are to teach New Testament ministers not to be hasty in rendering a judgment which could be incorrect. We are asked to consider a spiritual state of others by these Old Testament physical examples. Verse 5, And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. It is not after the seventh day, but on the seventh day that the person is to be examined. Eight in the Bible signifies new beginnings, and it is that which will occur based on the outcome of the inspection. Verse 5 continues, And if indeed the sore appears to be as it was... The Hebrew reads much more strongly here. It says, and behold, the plague stands in his eyes. The idea of standing is that of not changing. In the New Testament, Paul tells us numerous times to stand when speaking of doctrine. It means to be fixed and unchanging. A classic example of standing as being unchanging in doctrine is given by Paul three times in Ephesians 6 where he repeats the admonition. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he goes on, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. If you're having trouble in the world, if you want to know where to go to find out what the Lord expects you to do to get through that trouble, go to Ephesians chapter 6 and reread those words. He tells you everything you need to do to stand when when things go bad, and he's telling you to stand in doctrine. This is the idea of this possible plague. It has remained unchanging and has not spread further. Verse 5 continues, and the sore is not spread on the skin. The word pasa or spread is introduced here. It is a word which is going to be used 22 times in scripture, and yet all 22 will be in chapters 13 and 14, speaking of leprosy. It is obviously an important consideration to the Lord for it to be used so many times concerning that which is unclean and defiled and which spiritually pictures sin. The sore stood firm and did not spread, and so, verse 5 continues, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Not only are ministers to not be hasty in their judgments, but they are to be exactly the opposite. They are to refrain from quick judgments, but are to evaluate things very carefully. 
It is a precept which Paul explicitly states to his young protege, Timothy, with these words. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Are you seeing the leprosy all over the New Testament all of a sudden? This wise precept finds its origins all the way back in the highly disregarded and ignored book of Leviticus. Aren't you becoming more excited about this book with every single verse? I know I am. Every time I go to another verse and I say, oh, it's right there, I get more excited about it. Man, I had no idea. I had no idea this was here, but that's why we do these things, is to study what the Lord has put into his word. Verse 6, then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore is faded and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. A second evaluation is made, again on the seventh day from the previous evaluation. On this day, if the sore is faded, it's good news for the person. The word for fade, kehe, is new. It essentially means to darken or make obscure. It is used when one's eyes dim as he begins to fall asleep or when a wick fades as the oil burns down in a lamp. If this sore has faded, then the priest is to pronounce the person clean. The word is taher. It means literally pure. He is considered free from defilement. The conclusion that the priest is to derive is that what he sees is only a scab. This is not the same as the word which was used in verse 2. Here the word is a new one, mispahat. It will be used now and in verse 7 and 8, and then it's going to drop from the pages of the Bible. So please enjoy it while it lasts. Mm -hmm. Because he is deemed clean, he is to wash his clothes as a ceremonial act. He was detained 14 days on suspicion and was thus considered tainted by ceremonial pollution. And his clothes would need to be washed after such a long time anyway. After washing his clothes, he will then be considered clean. What was thought to possibly be sinful works was actually something entirely different. There is a spiritual picture here which Paul explains. A person was doing some works which were hidden, but which others may have deemed as sinful. Through a careful inspection, the person's works are actually found to be pure, and thus the person is pure. Here are Paul's words showing this. He says, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and here it is, those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. A real-life example of this is a person who is known to hire prostitutes and then spend his time speaking to them about Jesus. What he was doing had people supposing he was doing one thing when in fact he was doing another. It's his money, it's her time, and he used it for the glory of God, saying, I want to teach you something else instead of misusing you here in this dark room. But people saw that he was doing this until they found out that he had a whole group of people that were doing this. They were actually talking to hookers during their work hours about Jesus. And they didn't care. They got the money anyway. Maybe some of them were saved. But that's what we're seeing right here is good works that are hidden. Verse 7, But if the scab should at all spread over the skin after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. It is debated if this follows after verse 6 for the person who was declared clean or if it goes back to verse 5 for the person who was unchanged after the first week. 
What seems likely is that it goes back to verse 5. In the end, though, it doesn't really matter because either way, the Hebrew reads, Ve'im and if spreading, it has spread. Instead of the scab having no change or having not spread after it had darkened, it has now spread outwards from its original spot. And so the priest is directed to evaluate him again. Verse 8, and if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Oh, no, the scab is spread. In this case, the priest is now under obligation to pronounce the person unclean. What he has is leprous. In picture, the sin of man is an infectious sin, and he is deemed as unclean. And now, with verses 6 through 8 behind us, we can say goodbye to the word mispachat, or scab. It will never be seen again in the Bible. Verse 9, when the leprous sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to explain why he used a different word for scab here or there, because maybe that went past you and I didn't really explain it. The reason why is to make sure that you understand that one scab identifies something and another is saying, this is not a problem. Do you see that? He's using different words to give you the sense of what is going on in our sin nature. Somebody says, well, he's doing wrong and he's not doing wrong. So I I thought it's important that I go ahead and identify that for you. Verse nine, when the leprous sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest. We now enter into a new situation concerning leprosy. Verses 1 through 8 were something which has appeared on a man, and it was unknown what the affliction was. It was previously not there, and it had to be carefully evaluated to see if it was uncleanness of some sort. Here it is an old leprosy, which is clearly and undoubtedly unclean. It is something which has been hidden, but which is insidious in nature. Verses 9 and 10 lead up to verse 11 as conditional clauses which lead to the main clause. Verse 10, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white and it has turned the hair white and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling, three things are needed to properly identify if what is being looked at is, in fact, leprosy. The first is a white swelling on the skin. This would be a very white swelling, like snow. This is what will be seen of Miriam when she is plagued with leprosy in Numbers chapter 12. Here's what it says about her. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Second, the hair and the swelling is turned white. Again, the word white in both cases is lavan. It points to the idea of works. The third is that there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling. The Hebrew reads, Umichat besar chai, and reviving flesh live. The scholars that evaluate this verse term it proud flesh. The entire picture to be seen is someone who is swollen up with pride in his works and who boasts in his flesh. This is the attitude that Paul warns about with these words. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. 
He's making a point about the law of Moses right there and his flesh. And he's saying, I could boast in this. And that's what we're seeing in this little spot that's developed on this person. Paul speaks of those of the circumcision, meaning the Jews who put their confidence in the flesh by observing the law of Moses instead of putting their confidence in Christ, who is the end of the law for all who believe. This is the proud flesh, and it is perfectly described by the next verse. Verse 11, it is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. It is an old leprosy. The word is yashen. It means to sleep, but the word gives the sense of something inveterate. It is long established, and it is unlikely to change. Remember what we were talking about in the Prophecy Update? about um, not changing your mind. You've got something in your head and you're not going to change. That is what this word Yeshen is speaking about right here. It is a perfect description of those who seek to be justified by the law. It's rather odd that the very law which identifies this old leprosy is actually describing those who adhere to it for their justification. The infection is in the body, it is a swelling, it is based on works, and those works reveal the prideful nature of the one to whom they belong. It is the Judaizers of Paul's time, and it is those of the Hebrew roots movement of our time, perfectly described by the very law that they cling to and which identifies them as unclean. And because of this, verse 11 continues, the priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him for he is unclean. There's no reason to evaluate if such a person's works are actually appropriate or not. The Bible clearly and unambiguously tells us that those who live by deeds of the law are unclean. They have not come to God through Jesus Christ and their works can never please him. Never. Paul says this of them in Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, if you notice, the Old Testament is speaking of the basar or flesh, and then the New Testament, Paul is using the Greek and calling it flesh because God wants us to make these connections between what is pictured here and what is explicitly told us there. Who is it that is unclean before the Lord? It is the one who trusts in his own righteousness. He has ignored what is said about Jesus in the Word, who thinks he is secure, but he's really a mess. Like leprosy, sin infects our lives, and we are done in. We attempt to work our way to heaven, displeasing God even more. Such is the depth of this body of sin. And unless we change on us, God will, his great wrath, pour. But there is hope for the soul who is unclean. It is found in God's gift of our Lord Jesus. In the life of Jesus, the most marvelous grace is seen and is waiting there for each and every one of us. Our second thought today is completely covered in white. Is verses 12 through 17. Verse 12, and if leprosy breaks out all over the skin and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, the word breaks out is parach. It indicates a blossoming or an abundance. In this, the skin is totally covered with this leprous look. The Hebrew repeats itself with the words paroach tifrach, or flowering, it flowers. From the person's head to the foot, he is literally covered in this outbreak. It's actually unsure what this condition that's being relayed here is. Nobody really knows. 
there's one black girl in Trinidad who got the, the skin condition vitiligo so completely that she went from being totally black to completely white. It is happening right now in America to a grandmother. But this is probably, and it's certainly not, what this is being spoken of here. Whatever this condition is, it was one that causes the whole body to appear leprous. But it was so complete and without any other of the effects of normal leprosy that it was treated in a completely unique way. Verse 13, then the priest shall consider, and indeed if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. It is all turned white. He is clean. Instead of being wholly unclean, the person who is so affected is considered completely clean and is pronounced as such. As this is not a normal condition which is identifiable, it's certainly a picture of something else, something unique and something marvelous. Sin is a leprous plague. When it infects a person, they are unclean because of it. Unclean is unclean. There are no true gradations of this state. One is either clean or they are unclean. But for those who think that they can still merit God's favor, they don't think of themselves as wholly unclean. Oh, I got a little spot here, but I'm not wholly unclean. They have an infection and it causes them to be wholly unclean. However, when a person realizes that they are wholly unclean with no part of himself which is acceptable to God, they cannot boast in the works of the flesh. When they come to the priest, meaning Jesus, for his determination, he pronounces them clean. The reason is that his works fully and completely met the demands of the law. I'm talking about Jesus' works. As Paul says to us, for he made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Everybody see the picture? That's as evident as it can be. Verse 14, but when the raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. This is the same proud flesh mentioned before. This is still certainly speaking of the person who was pronounced clean in the previous verse. In picture, this is the person who has been cleansed by Christ and who has been saved by him, but then falls back on deeds of the law, boasting in their works. Paul speaks of them in Galatians. Now remember, he's writing to saved people, people that all made a conversion under him, and now he's writing them a letter. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer is obvious. He simply told them the gospel and they believed and they received the Spirit. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? They are those who are misdirected away from the gospel of Christ. Paul never calls their salvation into question, but he does tell them that they have become debtors to the entire law. They are unclean and they will be judged as such when they stand before the Lord at his bema seat of judgment. This is seen in the next verse, verse 15. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean, for the raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. The priest The Lord Jesus examines our lives. He evaluates our deeds and he looks into the motivations behind them. In this case, the person has been infected with habasar hachai, the flesh, the proud, and he thus pronounces such people unclean. If you don't think this is possible, I can tell you of countless, 
countless emails of people desperate for friends, for family, for loved ones, all who have been sucked into this Hebrew roots movement, just as the Galatians had been sucked into the false gospel of the Judaizers. They started in the spirit and then turned to deeds of the law, figuring that they could do a better job than the Lord Jesus Christ himself did. They have set aside the grace of Christ. For those who are saved, they are saved, but they are to be judged in the most severe manner for their failing. They are lepers, they are unclean, and the Lord will take away the many rewards that they could have earned simply by exercising faith in what he had done for them. However, there is hope for even folks in this sad state. They can turn and they can be renewed again by the Spirit. Paul told the Galatians to turn and forget the deeds of the flesh. Using Peter's, yes, the Apostle Peter's falling back under the law as an example of such things. Paul had to openly rebuke Peter, showing him his error. If you don't believe me, it's recorded right in the book of Galatians. When he did, Peter was restored to right thinking. His proud flesh was cured. Verse 16, or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest. The one with proud flesh has once again realized the error of his way. Peter turned from his lack of trust in Christ and he went on to his position as the apostle to the Jews with his correction duly noted and responded to. So it can happen to anyone who has been saved and purified by Jesus Christ. We all stumble, we all fall, we all come short. But when we put away our proud flesh, the priest will see and he will respond accordingly. Verse 17, and the priest shall examine him and indeed, if the sore is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. Woohoo! Cleansed and in right standing with the Lord. Just think of Peter. After getting his rebuke from, from Paul, he must have said, my God, I have betrayed the Lord again. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy to be your servant. But the Lord cleansed him and he wrote more epistles at the end of the Bible. It's all right here. And everything that we're seeing, this shows you the importance of falling on works of the flesh in order to be pleasing to God. If he is going to start the leprosy chapters with this principle, and it perfectly matches what's going on in the New Testament, it shows you how utterly severe it is. If any one of you leaves this church for whatever reason, you move or you get sick of me because I'm ugly or whatever reason, and you go to another church and they say, you need to stop eating pork, this is you. This is you that has been declared a leper by the Lord who has already saved you. This is the importance of it, and that's why I'm so against this Hebrew Roots movement is because it poisons lives, it tears apart families, it is debilitating to the people that email me and say, I've got a sister that's gone into this and she won't even talk to me anymore. She won't talk to me because I eat pork. I get this all the time, daily almost, where people are in agony over their father after 55 years in attending a church who goes off and says, i got to observe the Passover because if I don't, I'm going to hell. It happens all the time. If you don't remember anything else from this church when you move to another church, is to not go to a church that preaches deeds of the law. And I'd go so far as to include tithing because that's an Old Testament precept. If they say, make sure you send up your tithes today, I would get up and leave and go find another church or come back to the superior word. We love you here, okay? <laughs> but as long as we are trusting in deeds to be justified before him, we stand unclean and we are under his unhappy judgment. We are separated from the body. We lack the harmony in our life that we desperately need. Think of the girl whose sisters walked away from the Lord. We lack the filling of the Spirit, and we lack the fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Let us not go down that path, but let us consider Christ as the one who has turned us 
white. Verse 17 finishes with these words, he is clean. Tahor hu, pure he. The declaration stands for any and all who live by faith and by faith alone in Jesus Christ. When we trust in his works, then we are in a clean and a right standing with our creator. Stand fast on the gospel of Christ and God will look at you as pristine white, cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. And as an eloquent and flowery follow-up to our 17 verses today, allow me to cite Matthew Henry, who actually caught the gist of today's passage quite well. Here's what he says. The plague of leprosy was an uncleanness rather than a disease. Christ is said to cleanse lepers, not to cure them. And it was a figure of the moral pollutions of men's minds by sin, which is the leprosy of the soul, defiling it to the conscience and from which Christ alone can cleanse. The priest could only convict the leper, by the law is the knowledge of sin, but Christ can cure the sinner. He can take away sin. It is a work of great importance, but of great difficulty to judge of our spiritual state. We all have cause to suspect ourselves, being conscious of sores and spots, but whether clean or unclean is the question. As there were certain marks by which to know it was leprosy, so there are marks of such as are in the gall of bitterness." The priest must take time in making his judgment. This teaches all, both ministers and people, not to be hasty in censures, nor to judge anything before the time. If some men's sins go before unto judgment, the sins of others follow after, and so do men's good works. If the person suspected were found to be clean, yet he must wash his clothes, because there had been ground for the suspicion. We have need to be washed in the blood of Christ from our spots though not leprosy spots, for who can say, I am pure from sin? The answer to his question is, any and all who call on Christ Jesus. Sin is a deep infection, and it is one that we cannot cure. Our attempts to do so only add to our sin. They do not help. When we attempt to buy off God through good works, it is an affront to him. He says, I cannot look upon you. How can I look upon your futile gestures, which only cause you to feel that you merit my glory? But when we trust his offer and the work of his son, Jesus Christ, he is satisfied with that faith. It's a small thing, and yet it is so very difficult. If you don't believe that, just look at the world around you. Even once saved believers at times have fallen back on their own deeds to satisfy God. It is proud flesh, and it will only lead to sadness. Let me very clearly explain to you how you can bring joy to God and to your own troubled heart. The answer is to first call on Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've earned death. He offers us life. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. There's no if, and, or but. Those people that were declared pure and white and then fell back on deeds of the law will not lose their salvation, but they will lose their joy, and they'll tear apart families in the process. But there's more than that, because he doesn't just stop at being saved. He gives us all of this direction, Old Testament and new, to keep our joy, and it's by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by not going back to the law of Moses, by not saying, I need to do this or this or this or this or this or this or this to be pleasing to God, but to simply have faith that Christ has done enough to save us. That is what God asks of us. 
It's so difficult, too. I mean, there are times where you think, I've just, I've screwed up so badly, I've got to do something to please God. Happens to me all the time. But I have to say to myself, Christ is sufficient. There's nothing I need except to just start talking to my Heavenly Father again and say, Lord, I'm sorry I screwed up once again. I love you. Let's get back into the work of the Lord. And that's what he is pleased with. Because you're having communication with him when he isn't there and he isn't answering you. And that shows that you have faith that he is listening and that somehow he, in fact, is answering you. That is what the Lord wants, is that connection of faith. We live by faith and not by sight. The Bible never says otherwise. I'm sorry, people that say they have revelations from the Lord, visions from the Lord, I do not believe it. I do not believe it, except in their spirit, something that has come into them from the Lord, like reading the Bible and saying, oh, I know what he's talking about now. But he doesn't audibly guide us because he has audibly guided us right here. We can listen to it on CD anytime when we're driving and we can read it any night or any morning when we get up or when we go to bed. Okay, this is our audible instruction from the Lord. Our closing verse comes from Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read you verse 18 and verses 24 and 25. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And then going down, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Exactly what we're seeing in today's pictures again and again and again. Next week is Leviticus 13. It's verses 18 through 37. More infectious things to evaluate and to look through. It's entitled The Law of Leprosy. Part two. Part two. Thank you. That'll be our 20th Leviticus sermon. Now, I'll tell you this. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, pictured by all that gross leprosy, he can wash it away and he can purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? I got a poem for you today based on these 17 verses. It's called The Law of Leprosy. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, These are the words he was then relaying. When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, a kind of gross blot, then he shall to Aaron the priest be brought, or to one of his sons the priest, who in the law has been taught. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore is turned white, then the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is a leprosore. Something with him is just not right. Then the priest shall examine him, so he shall be seen and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore. Seven days he shall be shut in. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was during this phase... Then the sore is not spread on the skin. Then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore is faded, and if the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. Surely for this he has waited. It is only a scab. This is what it does mean. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, after he has been seen for his cleansing by the priest... He shall be seen by the priest again. He is not yet to be released. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy, surely much to his chagrin. 
When the leprosaurs on a person from the greatest to the least, then he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall examine him, and indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, it has turned the hair white, and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling, something not right. It is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. This is what this thing does mean. And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin for sure, of the one who has the sore, from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, there is more, then the priest shall consider. And indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, this is seen. He shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. It is all turned white. He is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean, a situation quite grim. And the priest shall examine his raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean, for the raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy, as the raw flesh does mean. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the sore is turned white, the raw flesh has ceased, then the priest shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. He is clean. He ain't got the leprosy blues no more. Lord God, by your goodness alone, we are reconciled to you. You sent Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so help us to trust in him alone. Yes, through and through. Our deeds can't satisfy, and they leave us in more of a mess. But what Christ has done is fully sufficient to save. In him we are cleansed and made pure in your sight. Help us to live by faith alone. This is how we are to behave. And through him all things are made perfect and right. Thank you, O God, for Christ Jesus our Lord and for what we know of him through your superior word. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these lessons which you've given us and which are confirmed in the New Testament that somebody is is well-known and is well-respected by this church. Peter, the apostle, could fall away from you and could then be restored again to right thinking be restored to you. And certainly, I don't think there is a person on this planet that would say, Peter lost his salvation and then got it back a second time. And yet we say that about people all the time. Oh, well, if you don't do this, you're going to lose your salvation. Lord, you save us fully. You save us completely. And it is eternal. And we thank you for that. We thank you that it is not up to us to finish this race, but you've already taken us to the end, the finish line. And in the process of getting there, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, to fix our hearts and our thoughts on Jesus, and to adore and love Jesus. Help us to do this with all of our souls. Help us to do this, not live in the flesh, but instead live in the spirit. And Lord, the people that we mentioned at the beginning of this gathering today, Arlene, who's got two shattered ankles and a broken leg, and Kim, who's out in Missouri, who is healing from her surgery of the hip, and for Paul, who's not here with us, and for those who are traveling, and for those who couldn't be here today, and the praises for John and Nancy, and all of the other things that we mentioned earlier, we want to lift them up to you in our hearts and in our souls, and we want to give you the glory, and we want to give you the petitions, and we do so. We do so in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.